Welcome to the VBAC Week, guys. This is Megan, your host. And today we have our friend Heather. She is from Kentucky and sharing her amazing story. And one of the highlights of her story that we're going to be talking about is postpartum depression, which is something I'm really excited to talk more about because just postpartum in general, and Heather, maybe you would agree. I feel like and I feel like it's even more sometimes in prepare, preparing for VBAC because we're so focused, hyper-focused on the birth and having this vaginal birth and avoiding cesarean and all the interventions. I mean, really, we're just so hyper-focused that we forget what comes after and not just like recovery after, but mentally after and physically, you know, all of the things. And so I'm really excited that you are going to touch on this today. And I already want to thank you for your knowledge because I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Okay. I have a review of the week and then we're going to go into it. Does that sound good? Great. Okay. And this is actually a review on the VBAC link course. And this is from Ashley. And she says, Tolak slash VBAC should be treated just like any other birthing person, but there is a certain preparation and information that needs to be offered to them. And this course covered that. The value is held in your careful recognition of how to best support our clients who are doing TOLAC. I'm assuming Ashley is a a doula course in this one. Um, She says, I cannot praise you too enough for the fear release activity. Honestly, it is something I can apply to even myself before and after birth and even in general, in life in general. Thank you for that. It has already helped three of my VBAC clients. And that, I feel like even starting right there, like talking about processing and fear release before going into birth can ultimately help us in our postpartum stages, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a big part of, I think, what I was working through the second pregnancy. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay. (laughs) Well, then let's turn the time over to you. Well, thank you so much. I'm really humbled to be here today. I've heard so many amazing stories and I wasn't sure that mine was really amazing enough, but um, I really just, I feel so strongly that talking about postpartum depression is important even now, even in, you know, five years out of recovering still, Mm -hmm. that I just, I really want to be there and just to help others who need that light. Absolutely. All right. So, um, I got pregnant with Theo in 2017. We, we made the decision, I guess, in March and literally the weekend I had my birth control out, we looked at each other and bam, we were pregnant. Oh, no way. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm terrified. Uh I had no chance to really start processing this. I was still um, weaning down from my depression medication. I had been in treatment for depression a few years prior. 
I had been out of it, but still on medication. I was feeling good. Mm -hmm. I was feeling pretty stable. I thought going off my medication was going to be great. Mm -hmm. Um, So we find ourselves pregnant and, oh man, that pregnancy was hard. (laughs) Mm. I was sick. I was exhausted. I'm a performing musician and um, teacher of music. So I was getting through my days with little kids and um, getting to gigs and driving and throwing up in the car on the highway. (laughs) Um, And I'm still processing this whole like, wow, our lives are going to change. Yeah. And, you know, I was really excited too. obviously, I was really happy to be starting this, but we were just, we were really apprehensive. I'm heading into that, I guess. So I was due Christmas Day that year. Mm -hmm. And so starting in like November, we started getting serious about birth prep. We did a very comprehensive birth course. I was seeing midwives for my care that pregnancy. And and I thought they were just really great. They had like the same kind of, you know, view I did. I was really happy with the care I was receiving. It was very encouraging and um you know just like whatever it is you want we will get this for you um the hospital i was going to deliver in had nitrous it had a tub room one room with a tub it had showers in every room it had you know obviously the epidural the iv meds you know i felt i felt good about the options although something inside of me really wanted a more natural kind of experience i i think Looking back, I really did want a home birth, yeah. but I was scared and it's expensive. So um, this is the direction we went in. Our birth prep, like I said, was very comprehensive. And then on top of that, I was reading books. I was, mm-hmm. um, you know, making sure that I was informed in case of a cesarean. And, you know, I knew about the cascade of interventions and and coping with contractions and, and stuff. Yeah. And... We got to the end of that that video class and oh my gosh so they do like this you know congratulations you're gonna have a baby and i was just like oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i was terrified and to be perfectly honest my husband wasn't much better yeah. um so it was about another four weeks before i actually went into labor since that moment and it was it was an exciting time. I got through 39 weeks at work and then I stepped back because as an organist, I wasn't going to be playing the day before my due date. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my due date came and went and he didn't come. And I was very thankful for that because as an organist, I did not want to have a baby on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day would have been preferable. I was gonna say, did you guys have performances at all? So you took a step back, but did you have like Christmas stuff at all? Or I had I had backed off by oh, that's um, so nice. the so week before Christmas. You completely, completely like stopped. Okay. Yeah. So 39 weeks on, I was on maternity leave and had some Braxton Hicks, nothing really, not moving too much. Um, got to 40 weeks. My mom came, 40 plus one. We go for a walk. Uh, 40 plus two, I think, is when I had my next appointment with my midwife, who um, mm-hmm. uh, was one of the two midwives I'd seen in the office. And she was the one who actually was still doing hospital deliveries. So we were mm-hmm. like, okay, let's get in to see her a few more times in case I possibly see her, which I did. Right. So we 
decided to do a, a stretch and sweep and it kind of it kind of went it was possible i was pretty high and closed and stuff mm-hmm. but um i think mm-hmm. the sweep worked and i didn't really experience much from that yeah <laughs> um my mom was like well i'm gonna go see my sister in the other state so we were we had some space again which was really nice to have thursday that week I go to my massage guys who are also acupuncturists and I was like, get this baby out of me. (laughs) (laughs) And they were, they were like wonderful people. They're not like prenatal or anything. One of them, he's like from India and he was like, so your baby is a little bit over here and is not pushing on your cervix. And he just like lightly touched my belly and it was like so gentle. And then I had some acupuncture and, they left me to to chill. Um, and then Friday comes the next day. And that evening, I just kind of had a sense. Like, mm. I was like, hmm, like, I don't know. I'm just feeling this. And so that night, I actually went to bed on the couch downstairs and my husband's upstairs. And I woke up around 3 a.m., uh, 3 or 4 a.m. And I'm like, yeah, I'm having contractions. And, you know, I was like, okay, early labor, got to rest. Um, So I went and crawled in bed with my husband and that was just a no go. It was too painful (laughs) to lay down. Yeah. Yeah. So I pretty quickly got out of there. (laughs) Mostly I would labor um, bending over, leaning over something. Um, We did lots of different places. I I was at home for a good seven, eight hours probably. Mm, And I was feeling like I was feeling pretty good in early labor there, you know, just like had some food, keeping it light. Um, my husband was packing his bag because, of course, he hadn't packed ahead of time. Um, but uh, I think, so it, I guess contractions probably started around four-ish. Um, I took a bath. I know you're like not supposed to slow them down, but I was like, I I need to rest. This, this is the thing. Taking a bath, if it's full-blown labor, and, and I don't want to say full-blown labor as I'm like, you're not in labor at all. Just like, if it's going to progress, it's going to progress and water's not going to stop it. And if your body responds by slowing it down and taking a break, that's probably what it needed. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, it still continued. Um, he would put like Netflix shows on for me. He'd put like stuff on for me and, and you know, I'd be breathing through the contractions after the bath, um, after, I guess, shower then bath. I don't really know. Um, it, you know, I started having to moan through contractions and they started, you know, okay, I'm doing my low breathing, feeling good. I was feeling really like, okay, I'm, I've been prepared so far. Around 11.30 noonish, things started changing and I started getting kind of antsy, anxious. Um, contractions started coming much closer together. It was probably about three minutes apart for They'd been a minute long for hours at that point. So we knew that we were really in labor. I was definitely starting to get that kind of worry, that kind of anxiety going then. Yeah. Um, I was like, we're not we're not at the hospital. We weren't far from the hospital, but I was yeah. like, we need to get there. And um, I remember I was using the bathroom and the, I mean, laying down was a no-go. The toilet was absolutely excruciating. It was really intense mm-hmm. when I hit a contraction <laughs> My dear sweet husband comes and like jokingly brings me something to put on that was like, I don't know, it was like lacy underwear or something like that. And I was like, you just do this, we need to go. (laughs) I was not having any of it at that point. 
And so it was like, okay, we're definitely ready to go. So we got in the car, uh, probably about 1230, and we head to the hospital. And um, man, the car ride contractions were not fun. And I'm going, oh, and, and I start going, gonna have a baby yeah all the emotions all the emotions i i really like i mean it was funny but it was also like i was starting to become a little unhinged there like i'd Mm -hmm. i had gotten out of my like safe comfortable i'm in a i'm in a space i'm in a zone looking back on it i realized now i was starting to experience back labor okay yeah. So that was the like that whole extra level of just like, oh my God, I'm not prepared. <laughs> like this is mm-hmm. really intense. So we got there. I like insisted on walking the whole way. It's and really good we for went, you though. Yeah, I, I it's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't want to have intervention, so I want to get there as late as possible. So I'm gonna walk. And like every 30 feet, we're like, stopping yeah. to moan <laughs> through things and we go to the where we think triage check-in is and it's moved because they're doing work and so we're like standing there like my husband's calling the midwives who come from across the hall it was ridiculous but the midwife is like let's get you a a chair and i didn't really want it but i was like oh you know like they could tell i was in labor so i get to triage and they check me and i was five centimeters and i was so excited i was like you know a first-time mom i'm like halfway there this is awesome i'm i'm yeah. freaking out though so i'm freaking out and i'm there and okay it's time to admit me and i like you know i knew my preferences i knew in my heart what i wanted yeah and i didn't ask for that like oh. i just like was i it, had you can't say it probably right yeah it was like I thought I want a water birth. I want to ask for the tub room, but like, what if I don't end up doing a water birth and I'm Mm. occupying it and I'm Mm. taking it from somebody else, you know, like all Mm. these, I would say like people pleaser kind of things sort of came in and I was like, you know, I want to get in the shower. I want to, I want to labor back in the shower, but I was starting to shake. Mm. I was getting scared. I was getting more and more scared and just feeling kind of out of control and so I was just like, I, I'm, I'm progressed enough. I want an epidural. Mm-hmm. Even though I knew I didn't really want an epidural, I just, you know, I was having this back labor. Yeah. I had been laboring for a long time. You know, I was 40 plus five and I was tired, you know, like you're not sleeping well by that point. Yeah. And so the midwife is like, she was great. She was supporting me. She was like applying back pressure and a lot of tailbone pressure, especially with the back labor and it was really helpful, but um, I got eventually got the epidural and the first one didn't take and they did another one immediately. And that one only half worked. Yeah. (laughs) So they put me on my left side because it wasn't, I I could feel the contractions all the way down my left thigh. It was really, really intense. And so the, the medicine worked that way. And I guess we got some sleep a few hours later, they come to move me to my right side. A few hours later, they move me. So I'm seated, kind of um, splay, like legs sneeze out. And that was all they moved me. Hmm. Yeah. And like, I couldn't really move myself. Uh, yeah. Over the course of having to move, like the epidural definitely started wearing off on my left side again. And then shift change happens around 8 p.m. And 
the midwife that I had been seeing comes on and I was like so happy, so happy to have her because she was wonderful. And so she comes in and the room's dark and she's like, so she checks me and I'm complete. And she's like, there's, well, I'm almost complete. She's like, there's a bulging bag of waters. We could break them and start pushing or hold off on pushing or what, you know, like, what do you want to do? And, you know, that voice inside again says, like, I want to labor down. I want to have some time to really start feeling the urge to push. But um, baby was having some heart irregularities. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, then let's let's go ahead and break my waters and we'll start pushing. Even Mm -hmm. though in my my mind, I just like I that really wasn't what I wanted. Your intuition, it seems like so far has been saying one thing, but then your your voice says something else. Your, Absolutely. And your mind talks you into something else. Absolutely. I think that's really like the the motif throughout that whole labor was like my intuition was on in one way and and what I was agreeing to and saying okay with was another. And like right. my midwife, she was very great. She wasn't pushy. Um mm-hmm. but having, you know, a baby who has non-reassuring heart tones, not dangerous yet was like okay i gotta consider this as well and so like on the one hand like yeah i wasn't thrilled to be accepting a breaking of waters like i wanted to know that he was in a good position i didn't know it was a he but i wanted to know that baby was in a good position but Mm -hmm. like the labor nurses were like oh yeah baby's ready baby's ready and i was like and you're and you don't really know about back pain at this point you kind of maybe do because it's like half working but you're not feeling it the way you yeah. were feeling it. So you can't even like really identify where he's at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I'm, I'm a first time mom. Like, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. And so um, we start pushing and they were pretty good about letting me push on my sides and on my back. So they would, they would turn me to my left side. I'd push it turned me to my right side, I would push. I did a lot of pushing on my back, which was probably where the more effective pushing was happening. Mm-hmm. And this point, my temperature has been climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the reasons why my midwife wanted to break my waters is because my temperature had climbed a bit. Um, she said, you know, sometimes with an epidural that can happen, but, you know, if it keeps going and becomes a fever, then we know it's not the epidural, it's, it's, it's an infection. And I'm thinking, okay then we got to get this baby out. So I'm pushing and an hour goes by and um, my husband is watching me get sicker and sicker. And my temperature finally breaks into fever around, I guess, 9.30, 9.45 PM. So by this point, I definitely have a fever. Baby's heart is not tolerating it well. And I've not made much progress in pushing. so my midwife starts consulting with the obstetrician who's overseeing her who comes in and she says you know we need to get this baby out our options are c-section and vacuum and i'm like well i definitely don't want a c-section and so she goes off to get ready for the vacuum now she doesn't feel she can do the vacuum because i guess she had a injury or some, something. So she goes and gets the ob- other obstetrician that night to, to do the vacuum. And so they're back 10 minutes later. I'm still pushing. I'm still feeling it. My epidural is worn off even more by this point. So I'm, I'm really feeling the contractions. I'm feeling them build. I'm working with them. I'm feeling like, 
you know, like that's a good experience. Like I appreciated having that knowledge, especially when I went into my second birth. Um, But the vacuum, so I didn't really know much about a vacuum. I want to say like, I I figured like, oh, it might be like assisted in pushing. So I'd push a bit. They'd uh, they'd assist the baby out a few, like over a period of time is what I was expecting. Um, After... A couple pushes with the vacuum, the obstetrician who had come on, not the one who was doing the vacuum, but the other one, she says, um, I'd like to do an episiotomy. Um, mm. Is that okay? And I said, no, I do not want an episiotomy. We push again. Um, the next contraction after that, she's like, okay, I, I need to do an episiotomy. You're going to tear anyway. And I was like, mm. I talked to my husband and I was like, okay, fine. And like, oh, love, love. I love you. I love you. And you are totally, I, you're not alone in those stretch where you're like, fine, I just want this baby out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh. And so like, I didn't really understand that that was coercion at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, cause you're vulnerable. You're so, so vulnerable. And I was sick. Vulnerable. I had a fever. Yeah. I was going to say you didn't feel well, probably. No. Um, my husband oh. see, is seeing me like, you know, just get sicker and sicker like i said and by this point it's probably about 10 p.m and so i've been pushing for over two hours and i have a fever and i just consented to something that i really didn't want going into it and um the next contraction comes and i'm feeling like all this movement down there and i'm thinking oh my god he he's out and they're like the vacuum just popped off for the third time and we can't do it anymore. And I'm like, what? And at this point they had done an episiotomy. Yeah. They, (sighs) they hadn't told me I'd popped off at all. Like I didn't know where we were in that process. There was not Uh, communication. There was not that communication. It was just, Mm -hmm. you're going to tear anyway, like a certainty, like you're going to have this baby vaginally and you're going to tear. So So let me do an episiotomy. Yeah, you made the decision with the understanding that this baby was then going to come. Yeah. So by that point, we had really no choices. Um, I was pretty sick. I could feel the contractions. I wanted baby out. I out. wanted. Yeah, I just wanted this. to be so over. My midwife was there the whole time. She um she helped coordinate getting my husband to the OR. They turned up my medicine. They wheel me down. She brings him in after they've determined that I'm numb enough, which I almost wasn't like this, this OB who cut me and that's who she is. Like I, when I talk in conversation about my birth, like that's, that's where my mind goes. And that's, that's really what was like, that's why I I like, wow, that was obstetric violence. Like she cut me. I, I just can't, I can't process it any other way. So she like almost put me under because <laughs> you know they had to numb me and and she thought it was an emergency and like in my mind i'm hearing her say to the anesthesiologist if if the next time she's not she's not numbed we're gonna have to put her under and my mind is going no don't don't let me don't tell them no tell them you do not consent to going under um fortunately they didn't put me under um but the medicine was high and um my husband's there next to me and my midwife is there as a support person. And, you know, they, they performed the C-section and my midwife whispers to us, she's like, do you hear that baby crying? That's your baby. And that was beautiful. It really was. 
and then we we didn't know the sex so my she brought my husband over to to the warmer where he was and he came back and he whispered in my ears you have a son which was a really beautiful moment too um they bring they bring Theo over and we I get to kiss him a little bit and can't really hold him I want to ask if I can hold him, but I don't. <laughs> and I really want to, um, but I also just needed to sleep at that point. He was born at 10.38 p.m. And that's just like, I'd been going since 4 a.m. So I was exhausted. And they take him away. Apparently, he was having some breathing issues. And so I sent my husband with him. And they went to the nursery together together. I want to back up and say, though, while we were having the C-section discussion, you know, like the one thing I asked for was delayed cord clamping. <laughs> like that was the one thing. And the OB said no. And in my mind, I'm thinking, can I ask for a clear drape? Like you want a clear drape? Ask for this. Like I knew the things I could ask for. I didn't, though. And, you know, I'd already just I just said no to an episiotomy. I just had one anyway. I had just been told no to delayed cord clamping. Like, I think I was just like, almost just like out of fight. Well, yeah. And like you I know. was saying earlier, it's to this point where sometimes in labor where we, we want to use our voice, but we, we can't, like, it's like, we can't, we're using it in our head, but we can't get it out. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's just this weird thing. And you're like, I could probably see you too. Just being like, I give, I give up. Like. Yeah. Everything I did want, I've been told no, or, or it's opposite has happened to me. Yeah. And, and like, it was really like, that was something that I really had to process through. Like, where was that voice? Mm -hmm. What, where was I, where were we working together and where were we not working together? You know, like my voice and me, Um, but he goes to the nursery and um, because I had developed an infection, they wanted to get him IV antibiotics mm. as well. Um, so he was, he was there for a long time. I was alone in recovery. I, at that point, I was like, I just want to sleep. At one point, my midwife and the obstetrician came in to have a talk afterwards. And mm. the obstetrician, like what I remember from that talk was basically like, you have a small pelvis, you have an incision where, you know, you could have a V-back, but I, I don't think you like, I think your pelvis is too small. Mm. <laughs> and and I was just like, um, that sounds ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. like, I know better. I know like, better. I knew better. I knew better. I knew that was ridiculous. I felt even in recovery, I felt like I timed out because of the fever more than anything. And I timed out also because I didn't have a lot of movement going on. There was not like continual positioning during labor. You know, I had been born via C-section. I was OP. And Mm -hmm. like that had been in the back of my mind in preparation. Like I was like, I'm going to help this baby get into good positions. I knew the positions to help me. Like I knew these things and I still ended up with a C-section. Mm -hmm. and you know the hospital stay unfortunately was not better (laughs) Mm. Um, finally met him and got to hold him about three or five a.m i'm not sure Mm. it was a really long separation and that was a really hard 
separation yeah. to come to terms with. When he finally came to the room with my husband, we tried breastfeeding and it didn't really work. He didn't really latch. And then we just went to sleep. Um, lactation consultants came around the next morning and they were fantastic. And we started getting a latch. We diagnosed him with tongue and lip ties. Um, we got those revised and then breastfeeding was off to a much better continuation. Yeah. Then yeah. the next day, so I went into labor and had him on a Saturday. Sunday was New Year's Eve. So we got to look out over the city and see the fireworks. Fireworks, yeah. Monday, I had this rash all over my body <laughs> mm. and we're like what is this it was particularly around my incision and my belly but it seemed to kind of be everywhere and we're like what is this it mm. didn't seem like pups it wasn't just in um stretch marks uh -huh. um it was like maybe it's the antibiotics maybe there's the something sutures. wearing maybe it's sutures we don't know like I had had um, part of my thyroid removed a year prior, and I'd actually had a, an allergic reaction to the surgical prep. I was like, maybe it was the surgical prep. It wasn't. We don't know what it was. But they gave me Benadryl, and I was like, great. But it made me tired. My yeah. baby was like constantly trying to breastfeed. I was also, you know, I was on the medicine for the for the um, C-section pain. Oh, C-section pain, yeah. You know, which was just horrendous. Like, that pain was worse than back labor for me. Um, I really like, that was the almost the most traumatic was trying to walk the day after. And it, it got better quickly for me. I was very fortunate, but it was really scary getting out of bed those first few times, like really scary. I was in so mm -hmm. much pain. Um, so yeah, the Benadryl didn't really help. Next day I asked for more because I'm still itching. And the nurse is like, mm, it can make your milk dry up. And I was mm -hmm. like, what? Uh, Not doing that. Yeah. So we got home eventually and it was just really hard. He was very much wanting to be held all the time. We weren't sleeping. I felt like breastfeeding wasn't going super well. Yeah. And so we got to my two week appointment and I saw my, my midwife who had been there in the birth and i mean she was wonderfully empathetic she was just like how are you and i was like i am not well <laughs> this is not not going well this has been really hard i i he's not gained weight and so she she asked me like what did we want to do about it and i was really lucky and that the practice and the hospital in general had a licensed clinical social worker Oh, attached no. to it so i could go to the same place and see see this therapist and so she was a specialist in postpartum and prenatal counseling and just you know maternal child psychology so at two weeks i was like okay i want to make i want to talk to her um yeah. so i went to that probably a week later and i just cried for an hour i just mm -hmm. i just cried and I talked about the C-section and about the episiotomy and about how like he didn't like I was pumping at that point, but like he wasn't gaining weight and how this was hard. And um, at the end, like she just listened the whole time. She was like, it's like, wow, I just cried for an hour. And she was like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I was like, I, I think it's a good thing. I needed this. Yeah. Um, so you need those releases. Yeah. The release was really important. 
I was seeing a lactation consultant. I was triple feeding. So I was, you know, feeding, pumping, supplementing. We get to, I guess, his one month appointment and he's past birth weight. He's doing well. I went back to the lactation consultant who was like, keep triple feeding. And I was like, I can't do this. And so I just kind of started to listen to my intuition on that. By that point, like, yeah, he was gaining weight well. Event a few weeks later, I go um, for my six week appointment and I still was not myself. And at that point, I decided to go back on medication. Um, we, we found something that was breastfeeding compatible and I felt comfortable doing that. Like I knew that I needed to take care of myself mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, antidepressants were definitely going to be the next step. I would say after that, after I got an antidepressants, I kind of stabilized for a while. There was a good few months there where I was continuing with therapy. You know, we were dealing with a lot of like, okay, I still have a newborn. I'm still exhausted. Um, I'm adjusting to motherhood. But, you know, just other things in life were coming up. And, but, you know, like like I said, I I felt like my mood was pretty stable. Um, About six months postpartum, somebody in my close circle had um, a pretty decent vaginal birth. And I, I mean, I was really happy for her, but oh my gosh, I just fell apart. Like, I really just... I dove right back down into depression. I showed up at therapy the next week and I was just like, I'm so happy for her. And I just crying again. And like, I don't know like where this is coming from. And that's when we kind of started the next step in processing the trauma. So since my therapist was attached to the hospital system and since she had the specializations that she did, we were able to kind of go through all of my labor notes. Um, and so those appointments, I asked my husband to be there for me as well. And so we, we went together, we went through those over the course of a few sessions. We, we really dug into some of that. Like, I remember, you know, talking, like going through the, the, the notes around the fever and, um, pushing. And I was like, yeah, like I really did need that C-section. And like, that definitely helped me take another step forward. Um, but at that time, also, my therapist was like, so, you know, just so you know, like, there are other avenues for discussing this. And and that's when she told me about the patient advocate at the hospital. And I didn't know about patient advocates, but my therapist was like, she's really great. She's not just there to prevent lawsuits, prevent malpractice suits. Like, she, she will be there. She'll be emotionally there for you and um you call her and she'll set up a meeting with the doctors and um head of obstetrics and and you know like neonatology if you want and so that was something that i decided i wanted to do it took me a few weeks (laughs) definitely you know because that's still still something very close to my heart it was still very hard Mm. it was just hard to make the call um and i think just being making space for ourselves when we we find ourselves in a place where there's another step forward but it's still like hard it's just so important that step it's hard to make those steps it is and it's like you can know that it's what you want to do and you can still give yourself the time until it's really right Mm -hmm. um but i i made the call and in september we had the meeting And it turns out the doctor who had cut me was no longer at the hospital. Oh, uh uh-uh. And um, 
it may have been because of her attitude. I can neither confirm nor deny. Or deny. <laughs> but I did meet with the head of obstetrics, who was actually the one performing the vacuum and assisting in the C-section. So that meeting, like I went into it. I wanted to ask about the fever. I wanted to ask about the infection. Like, how does this happen? Like, mm -hmm. did I do anything? What, um, you know, did I, should I not have taken a bath that morning? And, and like the doctor, like she was like, you know, like these things happen and you can't control them. And all we can do is make the best choices we can make. Yeah. And then I brought up with her the episiotomy and I said, you know, like that was not okay. I should not have been pressured into that you know, this hospital needs to know and the doctors need to know that all around that this was not okay and this should not have happened. And she said that, you know, they have trainings and there's one coming up and that she was going to use this kind of a scenario in the trainings. And that was like really powerful for me to hear that, that they were going to talk about it in whatever way they did. You know, it was really important, I think, for me to just speak out and say, this was not okay. This happened. Um, it should not have happened that way. But then also to have, you know, the doctor hear me and agree with me really did help. The meeting was also um, interesting. Like, you know, she said, you know, we, we would be happy to do pre-pregnancy counseling. Um, we could do a VBAC calculator. And I didn't know about that. And I was like, okay, um, maybe. <laughs> um, I also said, you know, I, I think this hospital should have more access to clear drapes. And, you know, women in my position should be offered these things, mm -hmm. not just expected after all of what we've been through to ask for these things. Like, this seems like a basic thing that we can do to be more mother-baby-centric. It's minuscule to yeah. make such an impact. Yeah. It's a minuscule thing that yeah. changes someone's experience so much. And I love that you brought that up. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So, this was back in 2018. I brought that up and, like, I was like, you know, like, this could have, this could have been. Yeah. And I think this would have helped. And. Um, neonatology was not at that meeting. They were unable to be there, but the head of neonatology did give me a call a few weeks later, and she was lovely to talk to. She said, you know, I, I was reviewing your notes, which the obstetrician in the patient advocate meeting had not reviewed my notes, which I had really hoped that she would have. But um, neonatology and I went over the notes for Theo, and it turns out he was in more distress than I had believed um, at birth. I also think that I just was like, no, my baby is going to be fine. Like babies have trouble breathing sometimes. That's why we have an umbilical cord. That's why I wanted delayed cord clamping mm -hmm. or that little bit of a buffer. But, you know, like the, the care he received was important. And, and like, she just reaffirmed that like, you know, getting the mom and baby together is really important from the get-go for us. And we do value that. And you are right to bring that to it, your, to our attention, but that we, we will continue this value. So that, you know, like I got a lot of closure from all of those meetings. I, I definitely understood all of the medical things that had gone on better. It didn't solve my depression. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still in therapy to this day, but it really helped kind of turn the page. Yeah. So fast forward to about a year ago, December 2022, 21. 
2021. I'd even written that in my notes. Can't do the math, but the years are going by so fast. (laughs) It's it's going by so fast, and my daughter is in a sleep regression. It's just great. Um, (laughs) So we we were starting to finally feel like we had our feet under underneath us. Like we moved states. Um, We got settled in another place near my parents, which has been great. And we were like, okay, we, we want to grow our family. Um, so that December, we decided to start trying. And two weeks later. Did you later, look at each other? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two oh weeks later, I, I, from my last menstrual period, I was like three weeks pregnant. And I was like, how am I getting a pregnancy test positive already? I was terrified. I was like, what is what up is with happening? us? We are, we are going full on, like we are never taking risks. Like this is just too freaky. Yeah, we got pregnant right away. And so right away, I'm like, oh, but I have all this trauma that is resurfacing. Yeah. yeah. So so my son was born at the end of December, which means that that really hard postpartum was right during my first trimester, which was hard again. I was mm-hmm. very sick. I was resting a lot, but it was also like a different feel because we were so much better of a team this time. Um, we were so much more open about, you know, how we were feeling. Um, we were we were more excited. We knew that we knew more this time, mm-hmm. but it was still an adjustment getting used to being pregnant again. Like I, I definitely had some anxiety and I don't usually have much anxiety, Going into my first provider appointment, I was so scared. I really was not looking forward to being in prenatal care again because of my experiences before. Um, so I looked, I you know, like because we got pregnant so fast, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go, but um, mm-hmm. I knew I wanted midwives again because I just did not feel safe with obstetricians. And so I went with what ended up being a community clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody, anybody can go and it's like price capped, et cetera, but, and it's a rotating group of people who provide yeah. the care. And it just so happened that the first time I went there, I met with one of the midwives. And so I thought, okay, I'll be seeing midwives. Like I didn't really know how they, how they assigned people, but um, the midwives were good from the first appointment. She asked me like what I wanted to do for birth. And I said, I wanted to I wanted a VBAC. Mm-hmm. And my second appointment a month later, I was like, but I had really bad tailbone pain. So maybe I do want to repeat cesarean. Mm-hmm. So a few months later, I'm like, nope, I definitely want a VBAC. And so I started preparing for it. I did some um, more courses online, learning more about VBAC. That's when I got kind of introduced to the Facebook community, the, fa- the mm-hmm. VBAC link Facebook community, which was really great. And I started really digging into that towards the end of my second trimester. I will say, unlike my first pregnancy, my second trimester was lovely. I really had a good time. I was taking medication for the for the nausea, which never went away again. But because I had it managed, I was able to enjoy and move a lot more this time. Um, I did a lot of pregnancy um, yoga and Pilates, and that was really lovely. Um, it really helped me just kind of feel more in charge yeah. and control of, of that aspect, at least. And towards the end of my second trimester, I was like, you know, Jake, I really don't want an epidural. I really think that is the whole reason why I had the fever in the first place. Like what I'm learning now is that 
epidurals can cause fevers. And what everybody has told me back in 2017 was that no, 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 epidurals don't cause fevers. They might elevate your temperature. But I really don't believe that at this point. I, I really think it was because of the fever. So I knew like my epidural had not been great. I didn't want it. I had had back labor. I was like, we need more support. So we got a doula. Mm-hmm. And she was amazing. So I had her by the end of my second trimester going into my third trimester. The beginning of my third trimester, I went to a prenatal appointment on the regular day I'd been going and this new provider walked in and she said, so you're going to have a repeat C-section? I'm like, no. no. She's like, okay, well, I mean, I have like one priority, really two priorities, and that's healthy baby and healthy mom. And I'm like, okay, but I signed the the trial of labor consent last time. And she's like, okay, well, as long as you signed it. And that oh. was the end of this. Like, it was a horrible discussion. Oh. Like, I kept trying to be like, no, I don't want to talk about, like, I'm, yeah, I've done my research. I'm good. Well, and just what she had said there was pretty much saying, well, this is my priority and that's the way to get it. Yeah. That's the, like, she, you know, like it was just that. It was, it was horrible. And like, she didn't go over my charts. She didn't go over my gestational di- diabetes screening, which I didn't have, fortunately, but she like, she didn't go over my TSH levels. She didn't go over anything. <laughs> she had a hard time finding the baby's heartbeat. I was just like, oh. man, who is this person? And so I went home, like totally shook. Like I was yeah. not okay. Like this yeah. is not a good provider. I am, I am being bait and switched. Mm-hmm. I, I called every office in town. I called every office two hours away. Mm. (laughs) Nobody could take me by that point. And I was bawling and I was just like talking to my doula. And I was just like, I just, I feel like I should drive two hours and show up in labor. Like we examined all the options because I hadn't found anybody by the time at my next appointment. I just, I went to my next appointment and my, I mean, my blood pressure was through the roof. It was like 150 over 90 something. Oh, (laughs) and I was always fine. And so this midwife comes in and she's like, I was looking at your notes. That other provider does not do births. She can't see. She is not indicative of this practice, Heather. Like she just right off the bat, like this midwife was like, I can see from your blood pressure readings and from what happened last time that this was not okay. And like, I think I just started crying. Like I brought my husband that time because I was like, I'm not going in alone, alone. And so we went, we, we had like a 45 to an hour long meeting with her. She was just amazing. She really was like, got me back on track. She was like, okay, so here's what we're going to do at 36 weeks. You're going to start the evening primrose oil. You're going to start doing this. You're going to stretch that. You're going to you know, we're going to do stretch and sweeps if you want. If you don't want them, that's okay. Like if we have to induce, this is what I envision. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like they'll even induce, like you don't know all these things. And um, like her just overall approach was like, okay, I'm feeling so much better about this. Mm -hmm. So for the remainder of my pregnancy, I pretty much only went in on days when I knew that other provider would not be there. And so I started seeing these other two midwives mostly, Whereas I'd seen a third midwife on on Wednesdays. Um, so I knew like I knew a few of the providers. I was like, okay, as we're getting closer and closer, you know, like I'm, I'm checking back in with my, my doula and I'm like, you know, this hospital doesn't have 
the things I want. There's only two shower rooms. There's no tubs. There's no nitrous. It's mm. just two medication options. But like, I don't feel like I can drive. <laughs> I don't want to be laboring in the car. I want to stay home as long as possible. Yeah. But like, I, I definitely was starting to feel more comfortable with that decision. And, um, you know, knowing that my husband and I had done the self-work since mm-hmm. our first birth, knowing that we had had like all this time to really talk through things, knowing that we had a doula, we just felt so much better prepared to advocate and to, to face this. This time around, I did a hospital birth course, which included a tour of labor and delivery. And I was not prepared for how anxious I got in the labor room. I really, like, I really um, was back in that place of triggered. Like, yeah, it triggered yeah, you. Like I'm I'm heading to the hospital. I'm having a baby. There's going to be interventions. It's it's not what I want. But we got through it and you know, I just kind of had to take it by faith that I was going to be okay and I was going to be able to to stand up for myself. Um fast forwarding a little bit. We get to 34, 35, 36 weeks and I'm just having tons of Braxton Hicks contractions. My my job is keeping me on my feet a fair bit, teaching little kids music. So I'm like wiggling around and like mm-hmm. every time I'm moving, I'm feeling tightening and I'm like, wow, I'm like getting ready. This is so amazing. I was like very feeling very positive about that. By like 35, 36 weeks every night from like 10 p.m. on, it's like baby dance and squish hour. So I'm like having those tightening Braxton Hicks Sometimes they're timeable, they're pretty regular, they're not stopping, but I wouldn't call them like painful. I was like, you know, on the link, like, what is this? Okay, it's probably prodromal labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was having that quite a bit. I started at 36 weeks. I started, okay, I'm going to do the evening primrose oil. And boy, did that make my uterus angry every time I would do it. And I'm like, I don't know if the midwife really intended this. Like, maybe I shouldn't do it. But I go to my 36-week appointment. I go to my 37-week appointment. Um, and I'm like, yeah, this is whew, this is crazy. I didn't have any checks by that point. I did have a check, I guess, at 35 weeks when we did um, the, the GBS positive swab. Mm-hmm. And I did come back positive. And I was so upset. I was like, man, I really should have just declined that because like, I wasn't going to change what I was going to do for labor yeah. anyway. And like I, I had the nice one of the nice midwives check me at that point. She said, "You know, you're you're soft, but you're still pretty high." And baby is right there. She moved. She moved when I poked her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And I'm really not sure if my my son ever had gotten that low, honestly. But 38 weeks, we go for a walk. We um, I stopped working because like by, I had I just had so many contractions. I'd been bringing my husband to work with me because I work an hour away. And I was like, I'm not going to drive if I'm contracting. And like, it could literally be any time. But we had the appointment and the midwife is like, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays are the midwives who are really like on board with your birth plan. They're the ones that you really want to see. And I was like, awesome. So Monday night, I'm 38 and three. I do like, I do my prenatal yoga, Pilates, birth ball, bouncing, and it's probably like 10-ish, 10 p.m. And my husband's like, let's get this baby out of you. And he's like bouncing me on the ball. And we're just being <laughs> lighthearted and silly and just like, okay, you know, like whatever. But 
that night, I woke up at 3 a.m., which was not unusual. Having contractions, which is not unusual. Mm-hmm. I get up to pee, which is very usual, as we all know. By that point in pregnancy, I just could not sleep. And my water broke. Oh. And so I, I like, I went to the bathroom and then I'm still leaking and it's dark and I'm like, what's going on? So I sit back down on the toilet, I get some light and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's vernix in it. This is really my water. I was like so excited. I wasn't really feeling any contractions and I was like, of course, because I'm GBS positive, my water breaks prematurely. Water breaks first. <laughs> yeah. I was like so mad, <laughs> but I was like, I'm not going yet. This could still be a day or more. Mm-hmm. Um but I started calling my doula, let my husband sleep a little bit longer. And then I go into the room finally, probably almost four. And I'm like, my water broke and he's dead asleep, but his, his face lit up and like, he was so excited. And that's like one of those really sweet memories from labor for me was just seeing his face get really excited. Like we're having a baby, like we're having a baby. A few, like another hour and a half goes by. I canceled all of the things that I had to do that day. My parents come to get my son and I had a very tearful goodbye because by this point I was definitely in labor and I was emotional and I'm like, my baby. Yeah. (laughs) So my parents show up for my son and I'm in the shower and I'm groaning, moaning through things and I'm definitely having back labor. Uh. My midwife isn't or my midwife, my doula isn't there yet, but it's um we still have a lot of time. Contractions were fairly close by that point, so probably three to four minutes apart for a solid minute. Really, really strong ones. Which At is one point, common with back labor with posterior babies, where it's like really, really close. That's really common. And so, yeah, I was like, the shower is great, but you know, it would be even better. A so I drew a bath and I'm like emotional and like my son's gone and I'm like crying to my my husband and he's like you're gonna see him again I'm like but he's not gonna be my only baby yeah (laughs) the doula shows up and she's like now is your bath too warm and I like glared at her I was like no I was good girl I didn't make it too warm (laughs) all I wanted was to just be in like the sauna environment yeah but I get out and I was like, okay, it is time to go to the hospital. Like I'm facing that reality. I'm going to have to go to the hospital now. So I, I use the bathroom and I'm on the toilet and oh man, once again, it was just so painful being on the toilet and I start feeling my body push. <laughs> I'm oh, like, okay, we need to go. So we're packed up. I put on a robe and underwear and nothing else. That's great. And we show up in August to the hospital in the south and I'm like in my not regular like fuzzy robe like like fuzzy warm yeah yeah that's what I wanted I was beyond rational thought at that point um and so my husband parks like right in front of the doors it's totally fine we're in a small enough town that's great um he gets the gets the wheelchair wheels me up people are like clearing the elevator for me (laughs) and I'm like oh you know like (laughs) we only had a 10 minute ride to the hospital but I had at least five contractions so I was like full blown transition at that point I'm like horse slipping it I'm like I'm doing whatever I can Mm -hmm. to not push um we get up to the room they like we skip triage we go right into the room and and they're like you know they're pretty calm like my 
birth plan never made it over there. So they're like, they don't know who I am really. (laughs) And I'm like, that's great. I'm happy with that because I'm a VBAC person and I don't want the monitoring. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in your constrictions, rules, whatever. So, um, it took them a long time actually to figure out I was a VBAC person. So they're kind of intermittently monitoring me, but I'm moving around. I'm, I'm like fully naked at this point. I had no modesty. I did not care. Oh, I had a TENS unit and I had a comb. Mm, combs my, are amazing. They really are. So I, I'm like leaning against the back of the, um, or, you know, like the back of the hospital bed. And I'm like, mm-hmm screaming through them i got checked and i was like can i have medicine and they're like uh it's too late for that you're at a nine (laughs) i was like oh my gosh like it's i started labor maybe around 3 30 or so and it's i'm at the hospital by 8 30. so i'm at a nine and I um so I have my tens unit turned way up. I'm like screaming for things. As my husband actually, I want to say this. As my husband was wheeling me into the rooms, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for an epidural. I want the epidural. And he's like, No, you don't. No, you don't. And and like that moment was so important because in that exact moment, I forgave myself for that first epidural. Mm-hmm. And like I don't think I could have in any other situation. Like I really was like, no, you know, I did what I had to that first birth. I understand again why I did it. This is no joke. (laughs) And I, you know, like just that thankfulness, that gratitude for that started. Um, One of the nice midwives was on call. So she comes in and she checks me. And even though I'm a nine, my cervix is moving out of the way. And so she's like, you have the green light to push. So I'm pushing and I probably got like 10 minutes into pushing and I was like, this isn't working. I want a C-section. I want to be awake from my baby's birth. I, I don't want it, her to get stuck. And, and the midwife mm-hmm. is like, this was your choice. We have not been doing this for long enough. It's mm-hmm. okay. We are not there yet. And so like everybody, yeah. like my doula is in the background saying, no, Heather, you're doing great. You're, you're fine. My husband is like, no, we're not doing that. But I was like, okay, okay, no, I, I know how to push. Like, I remember this. I can do this. And so I was pushing. I started off pushing, holding the back of the hospital bed. I pushed on hands and knees. I wasn't feeling like it was super effective at that point. Um, and I really wanted to try the squat bar. So they didn't really know where it was. They had to figure out where it was. I guess they don't mm. use it a lot, but I was like, no, we're doing this. And so I pushed on squatting for a while. That was pretty good, but we were, you know, like, okay, let's find a position where I can rest in between contractions too. So I tried on my left side for a while, and then I turned to my right side for a while. And one of the pushes on my right side, I like felt a shift and I was like, oh, now we're in business. Like, Ah, yeah, it, it really like I could, I could tell like she had moved in, moved farther along. And so um, I actually ended up pushing on my back for a little while. That felt good too. Mm-hmm. It felt really effective. While I was on my back, like I asked for a mirror, which is something in my first birth, I my voice had said, yeah, go for the mirror. But my fear had gone, I do not want to see. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah. But this time, like they didn't have a mirror. So my husband whips oh. out his cell phone and I was like, don't you idea. dare. And he's like, no, no, it's just so you can see. I wouldn't do that, Heather. I was like, okay. 
So I got to see. That's actually a really great idea. Yeah, honestly, like I got to see that. I got to um, really be just so much more present. And, and like, by the time I was pushing, like, yes, contractions were really intense, but I was so thankful to just be able to do something about them. And I had experienced mm-hmm. this in the first labor, too, like, with the epidural wearing off, like, pushing felt good. Ring of fire did not. Like, I could feel that. That was super intense. But I had really gotten back into the zone at this point. Um, I'd kind of, you know, I guess I'd tested out my provider and she was like, no, you're, you're doing it. You're doing great. They really could never get the monitors to continuously monitor me. They tried one of the wireless ones, um, and baby girl and I were just moving too much. And I was thinking, you know, like, that's fine. Like we're moving. That's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I would push and then like the labor nurse who apparently was a little snarky about me not being on continuous monitoring would like kind of slide the monitor down. And at one point the midwife was like, that's your baby's heartbeat. That's your baby's doing good. A few times they reminded me to just really take slow breaths in between so that we kept that oxygen going. After a while, probably about 45 minutes, maybe, maybe longer of pushing, um, I got back up on the squat bar and it really got serious by this point like i remember the midwife was like okay so there's about this much like about two inches between you and the bed so once this head is delivered we're gonna carefully roll you to your back Mm -hmm. and then we'll deliver the rest of the baby and like i was like oh my gosh I'm, i'm having this birth so the next contraction comes and it builds and i push and i feel her just slip out like entirely (laughs) fell out of me at that point like and and like in one motion like I had my my eyes closed and I had been on the bar and she's out of me and I rolled back onto the back of the bed and all of a sudden I have this very slimy meconium covered baby on my chest like she wasn't covered but it was you know she had yeah she had like all this warm and sticky (laughs) yes very sticky and i was just like oh my god i did it like it was an amazing feeling i didn't have like this huge rush of love and it was it was a little bit like when i'd held my son for the first time like oh my gosh there's this beautiful stranger in my arms but that was kind of nice i was like okay you know like i'm used to that that doesn't mean anything i did it they did all the, the you know, like APGAR scores and everything, watching her on my chest. The nursery nurse was like, you know, if you see her starting to peck around, you can nurse her. And we had a successful first latch. And you know, like my doula was taking pictures. So we have some just beautiful pictures of my husband and me just like looking at this baby and looking at each other and grinning and I mean, I would say the biggest feeling I had after Juniper's birth was just gratitude. Like, I really felt so cared for in the hospital this time. I knew the midwife, and um, she was really, really supportive. You know, having my doula and my husband there was great. My husband was a rock star this time. Like, I would say Mm -hmm. we were both kind of deer in headlights the first birth, this time, I mean, he was giving me sips of water. He was encouraging me to put on chapstick. He was holding my hand. I mean, he was just an amazing partner through this. And 
I mean, like I know Medulla did a lot, but I feel like she was also just kind of there. I know at one point when they were like, there's no birth plan. What does she want? My doula was like on it. Because <laughs> at that point, all I would have been able to say was, I want the things. <laughs> which would have been like, I want the skin to skin. I want delayed cord clamping. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like my husband cut the umbilical cord on my while she was on my chest. We got to see the placenta. We got alone time just to have that golden hour. And, um, you know, I was very sore but nothing like compared to the back labor like i just felt really like okay i can handle this recovery this time and important to note i did have a mental health plan in place for postpartum so i still saw my providers two weeks later and it was the really warm fuzzy midwife and she was like how are you feeling and i was like honestly i'm great like i had a little bit of baby blues a few days after where i was like comically crying because my babies are growing up when one is like four days old but like it was it was honestly a night and day difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression like baby blues I felt I felt great most of the time I just had this abiding sense of gratitude um, of love for my my husband for my kids just thankfulness and you know just so appreciative of the staff my midwife had actually told the labor nurse to kind of back off because she was like freaking out that I wasn't being monitored as a VBAC person. But, you know, my midwife had said going into it, like, I think number one, we're going to get you a better birth this time. And I think that's going to help your mental health. But number two, like, we're here, we can, we can up your dose. Um, Mm -hmm. I had therapy appointments already scheduled. My therapist was like, you know, if you need to see me twice a week, that's fine. Like, we'll make this work. But, um, Ultimately, like I just, I went into it having done a lot of preparation for postpartum and knowing that I had kind of been through the fire the first time and I could do it if need be. And actually, it was a lot easier than I had expected. And I think the reason, the other reason why this postpartum was easier was because I did do so much intensive work since my first child's birth. Like I really, I really dug into the trauma. It took a long time. Like there's no timeline where you have to have it all figured out by. And even during pregnancy, I was still figuring out bits and pieces of it and piecing it together and facing difficulties. But I had just told myself going into that birth, like I'm going to listen to myself. I'm going to listen to that voice. And if baby needs to be born, via C-section, it's going to be okay because I will have listened to myself this time. And that's going to be the big difference. So I really tried to manage my expectations, but also just to, to, to hold on to what I knew I could control and what I knew I could do. So I love that you said that, like, hold on to what I can control. I could control, hold on to what you can control. And we know in birth, in life, we, we, in everything in life, right? There's so many things that is truly out of our control. But for this birth, you held on to what you could control. And then you're yeah. open-minded for the things that you couldn't control. And, you know, it didn't go another route, which is awesome. Yeah. But if it did you were much better prepared this time. And, you know, through this birth, 
I feel like we 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 saw such a shift in you, Heather. We mm-hmm. saw such a big shift in I've got this voice. I don't feel I can use it. I've got this voice. I'm going to use it. Yeah. And I'm going to get my team and they're going to know what my voice is before I get there even. So if I don't ever feel like I can like use it because I'm in a space mm-hmm. where I'm vulnerable, my team knows and they're advocating for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and like that was such an important part for me. Like I knew I was having a daughter this time and I was like, you know, I, I'm going to approach this as the model that I want her to have. Yeah. Like I want her to know that she is empowered to make whatever choices she needs to in life. And I, I need to practice that now. Yeah. I also want my kids to know sometimes life is uncontrollable and that like, you know, we can trust things, but we can also just accept that some things are going to be hard and, and we, we don't know what the outcome's going to be. And so I, I really had like this, this saying in the back of my head, just like, don't push the river. Like, the river of labor is going to come and it's going to take me where it takes me. And like, you know, from contraction, from water breaking to her being out, it was maybe seven hours. Like she was born at 9.58 a.m. So an hour and a half after I got to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, so much did did go how I wanted. So much was a lot harder than I expected, but I had prepared myself in so many ways. Like I knew I was strong. I knew I had been preparing my body and my mind and my emotions. Like I really Mm -hmm. just been so vulnerable with my husband and with myself. And, you know, I I knew I could tap into that vulnerability as a strength, which Mm -hmm. is honestly one reason why I'm here today is because I really hope that that we can all find that. And it's hard. (laughs) It is hard. It's really hard. And, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes. It's hard to even recognize or accept that you need to do that. You know, it's hard to even get to that point. There's so many times where we just brush it away. So I, I love it. I love that you, that you did go through, you know, all of that work for you for yeah. yourself and look at what it did. Look at the impact, right? And like mm-hmm. you said, like, it's okay. We still like, you're still going through things and still mm-hmm. working through things and you are probably going to for a while and that is okay, yeah. but you're helping you and you're taking charge for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I feel so good about the, the example that's for my kids. Exactly. You exactly. Know? Yes. Oh, thank you so much for coming into the space and being so vulnerable and sharing these beautiful stories. I I know, you know, as a mom myself going through an unde- two undesired cesareans and the both in different ways, you know, I understand that that space of wanting to 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 be that like strength but not feeling like you can and then through work and processing and all of these and education being able to be there and say like, okay, I've got this for myself. I've got this for myself. And listeners, you can do that too. If you are like Heather and I and have been in a moment and it doesn't even just apply in birth, it may apply in all things in life where we feel vulnerable or where we feel stuck, you know, you can do it. You can, you can trudge through the mud. And sometimes it's really feeling like you're trudging with ankle weights on, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and it's thick and it's heavy, but you can do it. 
you can do it. You are strong. Um, Something also I wanted to just mention is the patient advocacy. I don't know if that's ever been spoken about on the podcast. And I don't know if many people even know it exists. And I believe from my knowledge, it does. It exists in every hospital because there unfortunately are things that happen in hospitals where people, patients need to go in. But if you are like Heather and you've had this experience, don't shy away. Heather, do you have any tips on how to maybe approach a provider in that way of like, hey, I've got this going mm-hmm. on. How mm-hmm. how could someone just start that conversation or where who in the hospital can they <laughs> contact to find the patient advocacy program? Um, yeah. So I I knew about it because my social worker, social worker. who is also mm-hmm. a therapist. Um, I would say that like finding the social workers is going to be the first step because they are the ones who are trained to know the systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are social, there are always going to be some kind of social worker attached to the hospital system. Um, when I had that awful doctor appointment with that obstetrician, I actually did approach the social worker and she wasn't, she's not um, a therapist, but she was like, here's the name of the person who you should talk to. Mm. And so I actually have that card, but I haven't, contacted them yet because I'm giving myself space and grace, (laughs) but I will, I will at some point and say, you know, like this happened and it was not okay. Um, So I would, I would say like, if you're afraid to talk to your provider about it, just ask your provider who the social worker is and how to get in contact with them. I don't think hospitals usually advertise that super well at all, but like, you know, like telling your provider, if your provider is the one who you're, you're, reporting, (laughs) telling them that you want to talk to the social worker is kind of a neutral way to go about it. And if you're like me and you had a wonderful midwife, but had an issue with another person, you could probably talk directly to the, to your provider about like, I need to talk to a patient advocate, like what happened was not okay. And I want somebody to listen to me. Um, Yeah. And, and this is the thing. I think you kind of touched on it earlier. Like, it's not always just to be like, I'm going to sue this person. And, you know, it's not about that. But I will tell you right now, it's going to make change. Yeah. It's going to make change. And you are advocating for another person, another mm-hmm. birthing person who's walking in and maybe is in a vulnerable space and doesn't feel that they can speak for themselves. Or maybe after some more education on a provider standpoint or a nurse standpoint or whoever it may be, they can step back and be like, okay. I've learned about this and I'm not going to take this approach because it's affected someone else. Mm -hmm. And, and it's okay. It's, it's okay to do that. And you really are, you're advocating for the future people. Yep. And it really can help you heal too. Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest takeaways, right? Personally of doing that. And, and like you said, like it didn't help everything. It didn't, it didn't cure all your feelings, but it gave you some validation. Mm-hmm. It gives you it gives you power mm-hmm. in healing in your healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love I love that you spoke about that and and all about the postpartum. And I'm so glad you had a much better and healing and beautiful experience the second time around. Yes, me too. <laughs> I really felt so much better cared for this time. Good. 
Good. Well, congratulations again. Thank you. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at the vbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to the Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link. <laughs>